Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Hey, welcome to The God Whisperers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm... Bill Swirla. We are going to record a whole hour inside of 12 minutes because I have to get out of here. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to be done. We'll talk real fast. You I know, don't know. As This is our 114th episode. I'm messing with <laughs> as, that. As I'm listening to the, the intro stuff, that doesn't make sense. What? Our intro thing. Why not? We we what is it? We reintroduce God, we retrain, we reintroduce God. We retrain people. What the heck does that mean? It means you don't know who God is. We don't. <laughs> That's what that means. You got the wrong God. 114 episodes. I, I, you just now noticed this. Me. That makes no sense whatsoever. And here you were just telling me at lunch that you're the detail-oriented sort, and I'm the big picture sort. I was distracted it. by other details. <laughs> what? What can I say? <laughs> Another see what I have to deal with, everyone. Do you another, see this? another scintillating hour with the manly doctors of divinity. Yes. <laughs> wow. That's that's, gra- that's gravitas. That I'm telling you, that, that's that it's is ominous. This, this is yeah. There, there's 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 a note of there's a dark cloud of ominousness in the air. That one's okay. <laughs> Hey, if you want to uh, call us on the Skype line and leave a message, area code 626-593-7713 or ManlyDoctors13. Mm. Is that working? Seems to be working for me. What, what's going on in the background? I mean, I'm, I'm getting... <laughs> How long will that go? That's a good question. On the web, godwhispers.com or .org, whichever you prefer, and email, try your luck, godwhispers at gmail.com. That was, it's a 35 second loop. Man. <laughs> <laughs> With us today oh. is Andrew Deloach. We have Andrew Deloach, Esquire. Esquire. Howdy. Extraordinaire. <laughs> Glad and, to be here. And, yeah, bringing that energy with you, you aren't say you? That you, I know, I know. you say that now. We ju- we just went out for a great Thai lunch, so we're a little sleepy. And Swirl is a little gassy. And I'm. <laughs> I was just waiting for another sound effect yeah. after my name, something you know, yeah. glorious. You, you, yeah, well, glorious don't count on, but um, or booze. Andrew Deloach. The right? There you go. <laughs> we can get there a boo. <laughs> Andrew's uh, his your your website is take the stand. Take the stand dot typepad dot com. Dot com. <laughs> That's better. That's the, better. The kids love it. <laughs> yeah. Real popular with it, the kids. Yeah, it's a very kid friendly website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, unlike the God Whispers where you have to uh, issue a homeschool, homeschool alert, alert every now and then. Yeah. Andrew is uh is 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 interested in the area of apologetics. This this will be our second show. In a row in this 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 business of apologetics, and uh, tell us a little bit about your website and uh, and what's going on over there. Yeah, the website. Well, it's it's or your podcast. The really. website uh, <clears throat> is for the podcast show, which airs on. Here, I'm going to go ahead and just plug myself here. Pirate Christian Radio on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Um, all the podcasts are on the website. And you know we're on all all the other stuff too, Facebook and Twitter. But um, we uh, 
My co-host is Pastor Joel Sheltanis, who you guys know. Um, and we're engaged in the business of, of doing apologetics. We just did, uh, well, let's see, we've done a few series. Uh, we did a seven-part series on answering objections of unbelievers. And we're now in our fourth episode um, talking about cults and world religions. So we're kind of trying to span the whole apologetic gamut, defend, now, defending so, the Christian see, faith. See, he did a seven-part series. We did 24. I know. We're, <laughs> we did, that's short by our standards. Yeah, but they probably actually get to the topic instead you th- you of just think? babbling. <laughs> so just talking? Yeah. Yeah, we have a, I think we have like a seven or eight-minute cutoff on, on our babbling. That's stupid. Yeah. You have a babbling... <laughs> wait. You have a babbling quota? No, Man, we don't stick to it because you know one week we got talking about Rocky you're, you're, and Rocky Five and yeah, we're, you're with Shaltanis. You're going to segue from Rocky oh, to Rocky yeah. and Bullwinkle, probably. <laughs> that guy, right? that guy can. I talk. love Rocky and Bullwinkle. You know, uh, Joel was at the seminary same time as I was, right. and he had access to good cigars. I'm not going to say where the origins were of these cigars, but mm. he had access to good cigars. Well, then you can imagine what our recording sessions are yes. like. Yes, mm. probably yes. quite nice. How come, quite we don't, nice. how come we don't smoke when we record? Because we're at your church, and <laughs> I think... Or in your living room. Or in my living room. We could record in the backyard and smoke, but you don't like to smoke cigars that much anymore. I don't. No, I, yeah. Yeah. You should try a pipe. I, you know, I, I smoke... I love smoking I a pipe. I smoked a pipe in, in college. <clears throat> Not that kind of pipe. <laughs> no. Why does everybody do that to me? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, the kids, the kids love that kind of stuff. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I actually took time out to smoke tobacco in a pipe a few times. <laughs> oh, hey, sorry, boo. sorry to disappoint you. Um, I discovered something about pipes and cigars. Pipe, pipe tobacco. Smell the secondhand smoke smells better oh, than the much, taste. Much yeah, better. I agree. Um, with cigars, it's the other way around. They, they smell bad, but they taste great. It, it depends on the pipe tobacco that you're smoking. Well, it's dunghill. <laughs> dunghill. <laughs> <laughs> then you bought the wrong brand. <laughs> yeah. I, I've discovered that the tobaccos that smell really nice, usually the sweet smelling ones, they aren't the best for. Well, they're they, flavored, aren't those? Those, are, those yeah, aren't and they, they and they tend to bite your tongue because there's yes. a lot of sugar content. Mm-hmm. And they burn hot and that right, sort of thing. Right, right. I have a good pipe, but I never smoke it because I prefer the cigar. Yeah, so I like cigars, me. but pipes are they're fun. I mean, they're a lot more work. It's a lot of work. You they are, camp it. but but that's that's part of the uh, that, that's part of the mystique. That's part of the too. allure. It gives yeah, you something to absolutely. Do. Yeah, if you're ADD, it's really great. But if you get the right tobacco, I honestly think it can take on a cigar. It just doesn't have the what, what's the romance. What's of the your cigars. favorite? I really like English blends. Yeah, like you basically you've got English and Virginia. Right. Um, Virginia just tastes and smells like hay. Huh. Maybe you know, it is. It, well, it is, really. <laughs> I, I've smoked the English, English blends, is... and they tend to be... I, I prefer those a little bit more, yeah. but I still prefer the cigar over that. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely... That's me. ...smoking a lot more cigars these yeah. days with the co-hosts that I have, so... Oh, oh you... now we get the crickets. All right. <laughs> Swirling. You guys love those sound effects. We just we lost, did, we did, we lost the ladies in our audience. Maybe... You know that's not I know true. Women, I, th- I think I know God whispers women cigar. probably smoke cigars. My, I, I, my wife has been seen smoking a cigar. Can, can you imagine? You know my wife. Can you imagine seeing her smoking a cigar? I can see Karen smoking a cigar. She did. She just she just pulled up to the. I mean, it was just a, we were in my my folks' backyard many several years ago. But uh, we can talk about bacon if you think it'd get the ladies back. Well, bacon, ba- bacon. Yeah, I heard a new use for bacon. You know that people are are writing derogatory things in bacon. 
at like the entryways of mosques. <laughs> I, wow! I, I saw this. I saw this on the news, or or using bacon grease. But yet, you know, yet another use wow. for bacon is becoming like the WD forty of, of the food. Oh, of it the really food is. World. Yeah, I, I was with a pastor uh, last week who uh, served in the military as a chaplain, and they had a young man who was, I think, one of their translators or something, converted to Christianity from Islam. And uh, now likes to invite over his Muslim friends and feed them pork without telling them what it is. Oh, see, that's <laughs> just wow. not right. That's funny. Oh, man. You know, come on. Uh, there's an episode of Seinfeld where uh, George feeds lobster to uh, Jerry's kosher girlfriend without nice. her knowing. After she's eaten it, he gives her a, a bib with a lobster on it and says, you may want to wear this while you, eat, while you eat that lobster. Not good. <laughs> That was inappropriate. Yeah, <laughs> coming from you, it's always inappropriate. Andrew, tell us about apologetics. What's all that about? Um, what's that? That's a very open-ended. It's question. a lot of work for little visible reward. Nice, <laughs> nice. That, those are the best. That's the best kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, the way I like to to put it is that it's an extension of evangelism. Um. Because, well, apologetics, apologia, it's a, it means defense, and we're defending the Christian faith. Uh, but you don't just go out and start defending something, you know, off the bat. Usually the way apologetics should work is filling in where apologi- or excuse me, where evangelism runs up against a wall. So if you are evangelizing and uh, someone does have an objection, that's where apologetics comes in um, to overcome barriers obstacles to faith and so um and that shouldn't be confused um as me saying apologetics is what creates faith obviously as good good lutherans we believe that the holy spirit's the one who does that but apologetics the purpose of that is to remove the obstacles to that yeah i think sometimes uh, lutherans get a little uh squirrely around apologetics because they they think you're trying to um reason somebody into believing or or, or by you know force of rhetoric or force of debate uh basically you know coerce people to believe the kingdom right yeah yeah yeah. and you know what's funny is i just that one just maybe because i'm not a lifelong lutheran i'm a convert maybe that one just doesn't sit right with me because i think lutherans are most well positioned to do apologetics. Why is that? Because Christ is at the center of their theology. Ah, okay. And Christ should be at the center of our apologetics as well. We should be doing everything we can to drive people to the cross. So, I mean, really, if you want to debate the existence of God and use the Kalam argument and all that, which I can't even keep track of because it's just over my head, those things are worthwhile. <laughs> but uh, I think it's after a while just became, becomes like an academic exercise. My my goal, at least, is to remove the one obstacle in that person's way and then take them right to the gospel. It, it's interesting to me that you are trained as an attorney, and uh, you've attended the academy in Strasbourg, France, with Dr. Montgomery mm-hmm. and, and so forth and so on, uh, who is also an attorney right. and approaches apologetics as an attorney. Uh, what is it about having that kind of legal mind that you think makes... Guys like you and Parton and Montgomery, kind mm-hmm. of uh, a little bit unique in this situation. What, is it? Is it the rhetoric, or what, what do you think that it is? No, it's. Uh, well, I was trying to think of something witty, like 
we don't mind hurting people's feelings and, <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> and, and here we're trying to stifle you, those comments. But I, 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 no. Well, I forgot this is a serious show. Excuse me. You you lie for a living? Something like that? <laughs> yeah, I no, guess that's, it's, that's well, fiction writers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're in the South, yeah, then you're, you're a liar. <laughs> a liar. A liar. Um, no, I think it's because the whole of our profession is focused on facts and evidence. And... Um, you know, essentially what, what I do on a day-to-day basis is I look at a set of facts and attempt to um, put them together to see, uh, I don't want to say tell a story, but in, in, let's, if I gave you the basic example of like a, a, uh, a robbery, this is the one I always use on the show, of a robbery, uh, after the fact, I as a lawyer am looking at all of the facts involved in this robbery, and I'm putting them together to give us an accurate picture of what actually happened, what went down. And at the same time, we're weighing the evidence. We're weighing uh, the evidence that, you know, subject A is the likely suspect and subject B was not, this kind of thing. So what lawyers and apologists have in common, I guess, is the fact that they um, spend a lot of their time weighing uh, evidence, whether something is more likely than not. Um, And this comes into play with uh, specific events within Christianity, specifically uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is something that we can uh, look at as lawyers and, and uh, you know, evaluate the evidence for it and dismiss certain things. As you, <laughs> okay, I'm, watching, I'm watching to know for you. I got if we need to like do the Heimlich. Yeah, or I got a tickle in my throat and I'm trying to fight it off. Um, you know, it, as as what a, what a great show. Uh, <laughs> it's like either he doesn't like my answer or the lunch is coming back up. <laughs> now I had a cold three weeks ago and I've got this tickle that won't leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, 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 it seems like as an attorney, you, you're also probably a little more ready to recognize that if people see an event, different people will see it from different angles and have different tellings of the event. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, whereas a lot of skeptics will look at the various gospel tellings, they'll say, oh, see, they don't even line up right. Sure. But uh, as an attorney, it seems like you'd say, well, that's good that it doesn't oh, line absolutely. up right. Because we're getting more information than yeah. less. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you've got guys like uh, Bart Ehrman, um, who is constantly saying, contradictions, contradictions in the Gospels. We can't trust them because they all say different things. And you're right. Us attorneys are going, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's, it's, it's that's like, called corroborative evidence. It's like 4,000 or 5,000. 4, well, if you have 5,000, you certainly had 4,000. Exactly. That's, is, yeah. Yeah, uh, one way that I've been explaining this recently, and this is, you know, John Mark Montgomery has this, I guess you could say, tactic or, or method of apologetics that he calls apologetics to the tender-minded, those who aren't really... Um, Smart? <laughs> thank you. I was trying to put it <laughs> gently, but... Uh, I, thought, you know, I thought they were tender-hearted. Well, they've used both. Oh, that's what, that's what Parton, Parton talks about. The, that's, that's the tough-minded and the tender-hearted. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Montgomery, I heard M- Montgomery has an apologetic for the tender-hearted... Tender-minded, tender-hearted. tender-minded. I think well, the two are interchangeable. Yeah. I think Montgomery goes for the tender-minded, and Parton goes for the tender-hearted. <laughs> That's because he used to be an evangelical. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious. What? 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 what I mean, well, I, it's it's the the whole thing about the the apologetic for the tender. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, is that these people may not be convinced and persuaded uh, by hard facts and evidence, but they will notice things like 
beauty in mm. art, in literature. Right. They notice themes that come up in literature. And so you can take them to C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and, and use the themes developed by these guys. These guys. Um, so one of the things that I've been using to kind of explain how contradictions in the Gospels alleged uh, can actually be seen as corroborative is uh, by art. There's um, two famous Impressionists, Renoir and Monet. And the two of them were good friends, and they sat side by side on a lakefront and painted the exact same thing. Mm. And even though they're both Impressionists, they're painting at the same time, they both produced works that are distinctly different. Um, And you can look at them and say, same subject, uh, observed at the same time, represented from their own perspective. And so you can kind of do the same thing with the gospel witnesses. Or you can put it in a, in a context that I deal with, in a context that most people these days understand because they've served on jury duty or they watch um, Law and Order or something. And you can talk about a, a jury evaluating different witnesses to one event. Like the robbery I said, usually you're going to have like three, four witnesses. One will say, oh yeah, I saw the guy who was wearing a red sweatshirt and he ran east. And the other person's going to say, I saw him go into the store. He had a mustache and a red sweatshirt. Well, already we've got corroboration on that red sweatshirt. You know what I mean? Right. And so same kind of thing. There's different ways to explain um, the the benefit of having these different perspectives. And yeah, one of the things when, when people talk about the, the apparent contradiction of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a misunderstanding of what the gospel is as a literary form. Sure. The gospel that we have uh, you know, in the Bible is an utterly unique literary form. Uh, it, well, the one thing that it's not is a flat recitation of facts, right? Um, but but it's it's an interpretation of facts. Uh, sometimes I, I think it's pretty clear that that the evangelists even took uh, some degree of liberty in shaping some of the things for their particular audience mm-hmm. too. Uh, either that, or you have you know multiple occurrences of the, precisely the same healing. But if you if you line up things in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in particularly, you'll you'll find that that they man, he's just anyone else need a cough drop? You're just having an ADD moment over there. Cough drop, anyone? Cough no, drop? I you, you just just unmask that lozenge and. Uh, but it, the whole idea is that that uh, the, the gospel is an interpretation of events to put forward a certain perspective on Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, through his words and his works. And and they shouldn't. If they all agreed, then you only needed one. Well, and plus there would be reliability issues at that point. We'd think that the four of these guys got they together got behind together. the barn and yeah. decided, okay, here's the story. Yeah. Stick yeah. to the facts. But but they're they're presenting kind of a, a fourfold version of, of the mm-hmm. gospel. So there's dimensionality to it. Sure. And 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 but it's a, to me, it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what the gospel as a, a literary genre is. Well, I think people also come with this idea that. It's got to match up with the type of literature we have today, whereas, like you're saying, this is a totally unique type of literature that doesn't really exist today. Yeah, it, it, it's an arrangement, probably in most cases non-chronological arrangement mm-hmm. of, of the words and the works of Jesus to present a, a certain view of, of who Jesus is and what he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one gives the, the full picture, but all together provide... This this kind of comprehensive view of of who this person was and what he does what he did, um, but uh, to treat it the way we would say a newspaper report, or right. even even a legal deposition, it, it's, it's missing the point entirely. 
You haven't read a lot of depositions, though. I suppose. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> you have. They're nightmares. <laughs> it's worse than sitting in the deposition. Now, now you were talking about a Christ-centered apologetic. Uh, can you kind of just sort of uh, sketch out what that looks like? Yeah, well, I mean, I, the idea is that what we're trying to do with apologetics is drive people to the gospel. Um, like I said, you can debate all you want about the existence of God, assuming you can convince someone that God exists. Let's take Anthony Flew, for example. He was supposedly converted right before his death. Some people, uh, atheists who are not willing to give him up as one of their best friends, um, they'll fight fight against it. But it sounds like it was true that he actually converted to some deism, some you know belief in a creator. So Didn't go any further than that. He he was not an atheist. That is one right. And I guess we always have to distinguish whether one one dogmatically asserts there is no God, or whether one is simply saying agnostic. A God cannot be known, and therefore there's sure. no point in discussing it. And uh, well, I think he was the former. I think he was dogmatically asserting there mm-hmm. is no God. If I remember correctly, he I was, think that's called a strong atheist. Yeah, and he was and he was a very strong atheist. Um, but you know, anyway, assuming you can convert this skeptic or atheist to a belief in some kind of creator god you're still light years or maybe not light years, but you're still quite a ways away from jesus in the gospels um and so you still got a lot of work to do so the whole thing about the christ-centered apologetic is um getting this person the skeptic the atheist whatever to Christ as efficiently as possible, as quickly as possible. So if, if their stumbling block is all the evil and suffering in the world, you do your best to answer that objection and then get right back to the gospel. Um, you know, if it's, if it's something else, like, well, what about all the other religions? My, my neighbor's a, a Buddhist, and she's very, very devout. You know, how could God possibly send her to hell? You know, if it's that, then you answer that question as best as you can, and and then get back to the gospel. And that's what, that's why I like to think of apologetics as an extension of evangelism. I recently got a DVD set from Focus on the Family of all places awesome. on Is There a God, <laughs> and it's actually done very well. Is it? Is there a God? And they go through all the proofs, and and I sat down and watched it, thinking, you know, is this something that I could use with the young folks at my church and mm-hmm. so forth? And the answer is no. Because really? I'm going to turn you into a good Jew, or maybe a Mormon, or a Jehovah's Witness, right. or something. But there's no Christ. It's just, you know, okay, I'm going to convince you that there's a God, and he created the heavens and the earth, maybe over a few billion years, maybe in six, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoy or prefer the the task that you're talking about is, let's start with Christ. If this guy rose from the dead, then you have something that you have to grapple with. Definitely. Uh, You know, so if I can prove that Jesus or show that Jesus rose from the dead, your question as to if there is a God is going to be answered there. Certainly. Now, if I asked you, how do you know that Jesus rose from the dead? How do you give an an apologia for that? How do I? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, this this is really the, the core of our... <clears throat> our faith and our apologetic is is his resurrection. Um, I'm trying to think how we've presented it on the show uh, in the past. I I did a two part series uh, this past Easter on the resurrection, and the first one, I, first part I did was kind of on the positive case. Um, in other words, what scripture actually says about his resurrection. Um, 
And the second one I did was uh, responding to objections to the resurrection. So as far as the positive, the affirmative case for why uh, we can believe he rose from the dead, um, this, well, we essentially, I essentially get this from Montgomery. Everything goes back to Montgomery. The guy is a titan. Um, he has this kind of five-part argument, and it starts with the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts. And this does require a lot of work. Apologetics in general requires a lot of work. Um, but it's time well spent, you know. So the first part is dealing with demonstrating that the New Testament documents are reliable as historical documents, not religious documents. We're not even talking about whether they're true religiously or whether the doctrines within them should be believed, just whether they're valid historical uh, documents, just like any other document in antiquity, like Caesar's Gallic Wars or anything like this. And you're specifically referring to the gospel. Accounts. The gospels particularly, okay. yeah. yeah. Do, do um, you, uh, I'm sure you've read it several times probably, F.F. F. Bruce's yeah. uh, New Testament documents, is Are that a primary text that you would... Oh, uh, it's phenomenal. It, yeah. It's not only is it small and easy to understand and it's approachable, <laughs> uh, but it's, to, I mean, I forget when it was written, but uh, it is still totally valid um there's one uh written by craig blomberg uh called the reliability of the new testament let's see is that right i think it's the reliability of the new testament craig blomberg that's kind of like an expanded version of ff bruce's book and uh, another one we've been using recently which is an even more expanded pretty uh thorough book is by richard bockham uh the gospels as eyewitness testimony Fantastic. That's a good title. That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. But, um, yeah, the first part of, of uh, demonstrating the resurrection and the truth of the New Testament, um, and this, it's kind of set out logically, this, this four- or five-part argument, because you, you demonstrate first that the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, are trustworthy documents in history. You do that um, real quickly. I, I can explain it. You, why, why don't you give us the, 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 the five points? Sure, Then sure, we'll sure. kind of go, go for just the kernel of, of each one, sure. just kind of how you do it. And uh, Yeah, the first point that you want to make is that the new that the, uh, the four Gospels um, are primary source historical documents. Primary source meaning they come from eyewitnesses or close associates of the eyewitnesses okay. uh, rather than, you know, hearsay testimony. Uh, the second part is that these four documents um, oh boy let's see if I can remember this thing uh, the four documents the four gospels um, the chief character in these documents is Jesus Christ and um, he makes uh, very specific claims about himself uh, Na- namely the what he's the son of God? Yeah, that would be a, a big one. That, um, that God is his father. I mean, right. he, he, unless unless they're putting words in his mouth, I mean, it's very clear that he's sent from God, and God is his father. Yeah, but essentially, the way you would say it is um, in these documents, the chief character Jesus um, claims to be God. Ah, okay. Let's just put it that way: mm-hmm. he claims to be God. The third part is that he proves his claim by his miracles at will. His fulfilled prophecy and his resurrection from the dead, primarily. So, so you would say that Jesus himself is his own apologist. Absolutely, he yeah. he, he he puts evidence out. He's the, so it's he not, is the evidence. He's not yeah. going around saying, "Trust me." No, 
and, you well, know, he, just take. You no, know, he does. Uh, well, but but, but he, not without giving them reason exactly, to trust him. I mean, exactly. He's not going around saying, you know, I'm the son of God. You got to trust me on this one, yeah. okay? Uh, but rather, what he's saying is, I'm the son of God. Trust me on this, and here are some good reasons to to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and and you would cite the the miracles and and his his prophecies. Yes, but in particular, his resurrection. Okay, we're, we're calling his resurrection from the dead the ultimate proof of his divinity. Well, and he predicts it three times, sure. at least, I sure. mean, three times recorded. Yeah, so. and then then the uh, the fourth part would be that because he proves his claim to be God, we can trust what he says, and what he says is that the New Testament, or excuse me, that the Old Testament is uh, God's word. In fact, he treats it like he himself wrote it, and he promises that the forthcoming New Testament will likewise uh, be trustworthy. So, so there, there it's kind of, it, it's sort of an extension that um, because he proves reliable in, in, uh, in his predicting his death and resurrection, which is quite a feat, you know, yeah. I, I like to say, yeah. you know, it ain't bragging unless you can do it, right? Right. Um, therefore, we got to take what, everything else he says seriously, including some of the stuff that's a little little out there, like, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no <laughs> life in you. I mean, the guy's crazy, or he's telling some really radical truth. I usually here, save yeah. that that passage for the second <laughs> meeting. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm saying, you know, that, that, that cost him a lot of followers. Yeah. Oh, certainly. But, yeah. you know, hey, if the guy dies and rises... You, know, you might want to listen to what he says. Might want to listen. Yeah. We need to take a break. We'll be back after this. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. Like, welcome back. <laughs> dude. We're, we're totally the God Whispers, dude. Oh, oh, you dude. guys are the most. Man. <laughs> this is the California contingency of Pirate Christian Radio. It really is. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're missing my co-host. But other than that, yeah, this is the... Uh <laughs> the, two, the two California where the chicks are really are. nice. Well, you and know, the cars go really and, fast. And yes. re- always remember, Southern California was ground zero for pirate Christian radio. That's true. Until Roseboro upped and moved to where's he living now? Uh, in, out in, in the flat in, part, Egypt, somewhere. <laughs> Egypt, somewhere like that. <laughs> Cairo, Illinois, Indiana. Or Indi- is he in Illinois now? No, I, 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 I heard. I heard. I heard rumor he was he was thinking of moving again. Minnesota, I think. Minnesota. That's where he wants to go to Minnesota. <laughs> That's a liberal. No one state. wants to go what? to Minnesota. Oh, oh, he likes to schmooze with the uh, with the emergence up there. 
Really? Oh, he's the mosquitoes are like helicopters. Yeah, they oh, really gosh. are. They're crazy. <laughs> the, the land humidity. of 10,000 lakes and 100 I mean, million mosquitoes. Yeah, you, you have that? hawks running from mosquitoes there. Have That's you ever crazy. been there? Yeah. Their lakes, the t- uh, this 10,000 lakes claim is bogus. Well, I want my money back. They're puddles. They're puddles. Yes. No, I, <laughs> I've, been, I, I've been to a couple of their puddles. Oh, they, they count swimming pools? Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. I, I know yeah. people with ponds in their backyard that are bigger than that. <laughs> Seriously. So. Well, I guess they've got nothing else to claim for You know, we could claim that with all the swimming pools we have in southern california plus yeah we, the land of millions of lakes we have a, the ocean too baby so that's that's a that's a big lake yeah mm. where the beach is really the most and the chicks are really nice more <laughs> more of the manly doctors of divinity with our special guest andrew deloach oh that's who he is esquire i was trying to remember yeah don't apologist apologist well, what do you what do you do vocationally? You're 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 a lawyer. Of I'm some an attorney sort. of some sort of, some of one sort. sort. Well, you know, I mean, they, lawyers do different kinds of things. Yeah, They're, I oh, I do. You're, you're uh, in litigation, aren't you? Yeah, you're, I do civil litigation. Awesome. So no criminal law. No, no tax law. Oh. no divorce. Family no. stuff. Oh, st- oh, stay away from that stuff, oh, man. I wouldn't touch lie. it with a ten foot pole. Wow. So, but you're 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 like our friend Craig Parton, though. You're 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 in the courtroom. Yeah. yeah. Wow. A Not as often as he is, but. Awesome. Yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of a desk jockey right now. I do. So are we on writing. billable hours at the moment? Are we going to owe yeah. you at the? Oh, man. oh yeah. The Hurry clock up. is ticking. Now, <laughs> do you work for a firm or are you solo? Uh, very small firm. Very small. Yeah. A firm of one. A firm <laughs> of two. <laughs> <laughs> Until it gets turned over to me in a few years. Cool. We'll so, ex- we'll so are it. you a partner then? Yeah. <laughs> so, so in the truest sense of the word. <laughs> well, Craig, I mean, would you rather be a small fish in a big pond or big fish in a small pond? Yes. You know that's interesting because there's I I personally wanted to be in a big firm. Did you? When I got out of law school, never thought I'd be. Those in a small seem kind firm of oppressive. Uh, yeah, but there's something something fun and and appealing about it. I like to be busy. I cannot stand being bored, and I get I get that occasionally in this job. What do you think of Boston Legal? I was just about to ask that because <laughs> I'm a huge Denny Crane fan. I love that. It's my favorite. Never show. watched it. I mean, I've seen one episode. Oh, I don't watch legal shows. No, but They're this is not a legal. No, this is not. A, this is it's, decidedly it's not. It's why a legal doctors show. don't watch ER. And the, it's, if there was a pastor show, you wouldn't watch. This it. is a parody of legal shows, though. This is this is really well. It's like it's like yeah. it's like it's, Bill Shatner's a parody of himself. <laughs> He's a parrot of humanity. That's true. <laughs> but, I mean, I think it's one of Shatner's finest moments as Boston Legal. Denny Crane. Right, I, I have it the yeah, uh, it's worthy. It's I have worthy. the Benny, Denny Crane for President 2008 uh, shirt. I, I have I have one of those magnets. I gave you a magnet. Thank wow. you. Yeah. I, I, I watch I, Seinfeld. That's I it. gave one to Borghardt. So nice. you like that's right. You're a big, you're a huge Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. fan. I have them all committed to memory. So I see. So you watch them because you're not a Jew. Is that? <laughs> I want to understand the Jewish culture. Oh. I don't know if Seinfeld's uh, the best for that. Although, there's the black and white cookies are delicious. And somehow racial harmony eludes us. <laughs> there has he to does, be a better way. He he does have them all memorized. Paula and I are talking about having a Festivus party this year. Oh, I will be there. You know, I will bring the steel pole. There, there's something to that. We ought to do a God Whispers Festivus edition. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, that's going we down. Should. Please let me be here for that's that. Even God if I just sit in the corner and listen. <laughs> when are the official dates of Festivus? I think it's the 23rd, if I remember yeah. right. Sweet. December 23rd, if let's I have, Let's have a Festivus party. Are the there air. Festivus carols that we could sing? Oh. No, they do the airing of grievances. The well, airing we, of we grievances. We will have. Yes, we will. <laughs> and then there's there are the feats of strength. Feats of strength. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where, and, and you can't go home until someone's been pinned, right? <laughs> that's right. 
we oh will gosh. have we will have a festivus. I'm, I'm huge in a festivus. I, I've sent out festivus cards for a few years now. <laughs> there's they, they, uh, they say I'm very disappointed in you. And yeah, I expected yeah. more. There's a whole festivus subculture on the internet. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Let's uh, let's let's review quickly this 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 um, this historic uh, evidentiary apologetic here just, just sure. to kind of kind of button it down because I've, I've got some other things I want to bounce off you while we have you here and okay. and, the, and the clock is ticking yeah three fifty an hour too so. well I, yeah that, whenever you're talking to a lawyer twenty two minutes and thirty one seconds oh right. man the dollar signs so I can so, see so let me let me see if I've got this <laughs> you can you can comment you know as you want but but first of all. Um, the manuscripts we have of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John mm-hmm. are reliable first-century eyewitness manuscripts. I mean, they, they right. are, as I understand, they're, they're better than anything the classics department has to offer. Anything the class the classics departments are ridiculously envious. Yeah, as of, they, of as, our as they should be. I don't believe in Aristotle. Okay, I don't. I don't believe that he existed. <laughs> probably, there, there aren't any early enough manuscripts to convince me that Aristotle, Aristotle, or Plato. <laughs> I do believe in Plato because I used to play with it as a kid. But <laughs> I used to eat it. Go, go back to your corner. I'm, we're, I'm done. We're gonna put him in timeout. I'll see you later. You, you guys, in, you guys finish with playground. Next five minutes, nothing from Dinofrio. He's in timeout. <laughs> no, so, but but, but are you still going? <laughs> serious though. I mean, our earliest manuscripts that we have of Aristotle and Plato are much later than. You know, much younger to our age than the early manuscripts that we have for the scriptures. It's true. It's true, and that that's how that's how we come up with the. Uh, that's how we get to the the place where we can say, yeah, the New Testament manuscripts are more reliable than anything else in antiquity. Two two ways: um, the number of manuscripts that we have, and the length of time between when they were written. Or excuse me. Uh, oh man. You, say, you just had a Donofrio uh, moment. I, I didn't did. You? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. contagious. It's I, I could tell. I mean, it's it would, the Thai food we had for lunch. Is it pretty? Pretty soon you'll just start making noises like me, you know, or just some it's the grunts. Pe- well, you know, but the, the, I think we, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The, the length of time between the event and, and the time the manuscripts, manuscripts first appear. Yeah. Uh, granted that these are a lot of these are really fragmentary. You know, they're they're sure. they're like a, a, a piece of page five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's all you need. I mean, if it's reliable, if you can demonstrate that that is a genuine piece of page five of John, you know, or it's a chunk yeah. of the fifth chapter of John, then you got you got solid evidence that that thing was around, uh, you know, in in the first century at the time of the yeah. apostles. Yeah, and I don't, uh, I don't, I should have brought uh, one of the books that has this table in it, but you can find this table even online, dating or I mean, uh, displaying the the gospels compared to, you know, like I was saying, Caesar and, and Plato and Homer and all of these guys, um, and the number of manuscripts and the time span between when they were written and the dates they, I mean, the events that they relate. Um, and this, the other ones just don't even stack up at all. And that's, uh, even if you're just looking at the Greek manuscripts, the New Testament just completely beats everything. Right. But then you add uh, everything else, like Coptic, Syriac, Syriac um, and every other language that these New Testament manuscripts were written in. Um, and then if you want, you can even add to that uh, all of the references in the Church Fathers. Right, the Clement cit- citations, and, and, allusions, yeah. mm-hmm. sure. Um, and then, I guess going back to the existence of Aristotle, that's one way you could argue that he really did exist is by references in other writers. But I am no scholar of Aristotle. Do, do you, have you ever heard, and I, I'm really just kind of poking in the dark here, but have you ever heard anybody 
in the classics world say, I just don't believe that those guys even existed. I, I've never heard anyone even say that. No. Who, you know, classicists who never say, oh, I don't think that Aristotle was a real guy or Homer or whatever. No, and that's a great point. Yeah. Because the skeptics like to say, you know, oh, I don't believe Jesus even existed. These guys, these classics professors, are going off of 10 manuscripts. Yeah. you know, with, I, a, I, with a gap of 500, 600, 800 years. I've actually they tried have, They this. have no trouble believing that the New Testament is reliable. I've tried this gambit sometimes with, you know, how do we even know Jesus existed? Uh, with coming back, say, you know, I've begun to doubt that George Washington existed. Yeah. It's great. And, it's a great and, way to do it. And they'll kind of look at you, as, oh, you know, and they said, you know, the more I think about it, uh, the, the evidence just doesn't stack up. I, I think he's a myth of the, the American civil religion. And it, it's an American myth. We sure. created a superhero. No, no such thing as George Washington. In fact, we've already demonstrated he probably didn't chop down a cherry tree. You know, that, that was myth. So everything <laughs> and, else is myth, too. And, and, and you can't throw a coin across a Potomac like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so tried. It's just way too far. I, so, I've worked in D.C. enough to know that that's, that just ain't going to happen there. And yet you start to unpack, you know, why, why do sane, historically-minded people believe, not believe, but, but they, they, they state George Washington as a fact that he existed. Mm-hmm. And, and you look, and it's the same thing that, that we use in mm. the New Testament. You know, their writings, <coughs> their eyewitness accounts, there's all sorts of uh, historical uh, ramifications of his existence. Right. You know, if, if you don't exist, then you don't have much ramification in history. History tends to ignore you if you don't exist. You know? <laughs> uh, so reliable manuscripts, second, that Jesus is the central character who makes specific claims about himself, or at least doesn't shut up uh, claims that people make about him, namely son of, son of God, Savior. Right. Uh, he does know. both. He, yeah. makes, he makes claims d- direct and indirect, and uh, he also accepts the claims of his disciples. And you know, when Peter, or excuse me, when Thomas falls down at his feet and says, my Lord, my God... <coughs> Yeah, he, say, he doesn't. Hey, no, 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 Thomas, don't talk stand like that, up. dude. Yeah, yeah right. You're it's not a good like, Jew. Don't do not, that. Not like the angel in the Revelation, right. you know, who's you know, John falls down, worse than boom, back on stand your feet. Up. Don't do that. Right, right. <laughs> uh, third, that he 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 makes good or he proves his claim. He provides actual evidence for his claim through his his miracles and his prophecies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and his and, resurrection. And the linchpin is his resurrection. Right. So if Christ be not raised, then this whole thing is off. The Jew is still dead. Become a Buddhist. Sure. Right? That, or that's whatever what, you want. I think Buddhism is cool, but that's just me. Um, and, and so because he's risen from the dead, because his miracles attest to who he is, then forth his words are trustworthy, right. even when they seem sort of way out on a limb. Right. And uh, he points back to the Old Testament and says, looky here, that, that's about me. Right. And, exactly, and, and so, so so now now he validates the Old Testament. Uh huh. So so I guess what you're saying here is we believe the Old Testament because Jesus believed the Old Testament, and really that's the only uh, good reason that we have for believing it. Cool. We All don't right. have reliable manuscript evidence for the Old Testament. I mean, we've got some, no, I mean, but nowhere near the amount that we would need to say, <laughs> yeah, this is trustworthy. We know who wrote this. Primarily, we we believe it on the authority of Christ. Yeah, and he's quoting it constantly. He puts his imprimatur on it, and, and that's why we trust it. Yeah, and and then and then I and then he also looks forward to the new, to the new mm-hmm. testament. Right, that's not written while well. he's. You know, it's kind of strange. He why didn't he write a? He should have written a book. <laughs> this is this is a question for you to answer, right? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, somebody asked me that one time. You know, is it Muhammad? Muhammad wrote the Quran. You know, how come Jesus didn't write a book? Because Muhammad was starting his own religion. Here's, here's my answer to that. We'd worship the book. Yep. 
That's what I was thinking. Yeah. We we would put that that book above all others in importance and in, in value and everything else, and it would nullify the rest of the well, Bible. Well, we, we do. Mm-hmm. We do, but only in the sense <coughs> that it's the book that delivers Christ. And so it's, it's this Christ-centered thing again. Mm-hmm. We would become a book-centered thing. That's hmm. true. We, we, we would worship the book. Yeah, same, same question. Paul Meyer talks about this one quite a bit. Uh, if we had a, a painting or a statue of Jesus, people would be, you know, worshiping the statue. Sure. You know, it would, be, exactly. it would become an idol. Yeah, well, uh, any, any relic, that's the thing. It becomes sort of its own, it, it's, it becomes a relic, an object yeah. of worship and veneration. veneration yeah. now, I, I want to ask so, you about... Well, let me tie this up, though. Just, I guess I won't. No, you're in timeout. Because... <laughs> yeah, your five minutes are not up, pal. So, so, so what you're saying does not rely on demonstrating that the Bible is... Oh, he's going for a lozenge again. <laughs> this, this is Shades of Moe's Bacon Bar right here. Uh, oh, man. Uh, one, that's our best episode by, you know... Voted by 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 listeners. That by was a good one. Bacon chocolate lovers. Yeah, everywhere. that was. But that was see, a good your one. your apologetic does not rely on an a priori. That's Latin for for prior. Prior to. Prior to. Uh, I was wondering a presupposition. About that, yeah. Uh, yeah, of an inspired and inerrant Bible. Not at all. Like like I said, we start uh, on the first point of that outline, and we're only talking about historical documents. You They're, start with an inerrant Jesus. Well, you get to an inerrant Jesus. Yes. By by him proving his claims. That's right. To be the inerrant Because it ain't Jesus. bragging if you can do it. Right. But, uh, yeah, we don't start with an inspired, inerrant text. So so what you're saying is that when we're dealing with the skeptic, we, we don't have to engage in these, 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 uh, these side arguments about the contradictions in the Bible, the, the, you know, all of this stuff. That's kind of a secondary conversation. It seems like what you're saying is the primary conversation needs to begin simply with, do these meet the test? Do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John meet the test of historic reliability? And let's look at the Jesus they present. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's tough because if somebody comes to you and their uh, major objection is the contradictions in the Gospels, um, it could be tough and, and even time-consuming to sit them down and say, okay, well, let me give you the four-point argument. We're not going to actually answer your question, but let's let's talk about first the, the manuscripts and, and so on. I mean, ideally, you would want to walk them through that, uh, but I think part of doing apologetics is being attuned to what they're actually hung up on. Um, but it, I mean, if the objection is the contradictions in the Gospels, then yeah, that first point um, is a great place to start. So I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but no, I, I but I, I think this is important. I mean, you, you do have to pay attention to what they're actually objecting to and what they're hung up on. See, this rescues us from that circular argument: the Bible's inspired because the Bible says so. Yeah, right. Exactly. The Bible's in, the Bible's inspired, reliable, trustworthy because Jesus says so. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who died and rose. Well, and you have the witness of history, the witness of archaeology, the witness of geography, the wit- you know, all these different witnesses. The that, witness of geography? Yeah. All <laughs> well, those cities, a lot of them still are there. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh. You know, uh, Egypt is still there, as last I checked. Is Egypt hey, still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a friend who was just there, in fact. I, I want to ask you about this. I'm going to cut Swirl off at the pass because oh. you can't get a word in edgewise. What do you make <laughs> of host- hostile sources or hostile witnesses? I love them. Yeah. I love them. They are uh, something that all Christian apologists, well, all Christians, should know about and love. Um, I, I think about Gamaliel and Acts, where uh, you know they're wanting to stone all, all the apostles and everything, and Gamaliel says, "Wait, wait, wait! 
Uh, other guys have come along and claimed to be something big, and they ended up dying and you know terrible deaths or stoned or driven out or whatever. If this Jesus guy and his followers are a bunch of boneheads, then uh, uh, the same will happen to them, and we don't have mm-hmm. to really go crazy. I mean, hostile, hostile source of this case, and we have, as a result, for 2,000 years, Christianity hasn't died out. So I guess Gamaliel is probably... Gamaliel <laughs> is probably... Is a uh, of the words He's today. choking on his cough I, drop. I got my cough drop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, I mean, this is just one of those kind of hostile witness kind of things where it's like, oh, well, I guess you're right. If it was nothing, it would have died out, but it seems to have lasted for 2,000 years. So yeah. maybe there's something to that. Yeah, and F.F. Uh, F. Bruce's book <clears throat> that you mentioned earlier, uh, The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? He has a great section on the hostile witnesses and what they have to say about Christianity. Um, all of a sudden, I'm forgetting his name, the primary Jewish historian. Josephus. Thank you, Josephus. And uh, even if you take out the parts that were um, admittedly interpolated or added to his manuscripts by zealous Christians, um, (laughs) even if you get back to his actual material, he gives you so much beneficial information. He corroborates Jesus and uh, the fact that he um, was being worshipped even after his death, even to the point that they were claiming he had risen from the dead. Right. He doesn't say that it happened, but he says this is what they believe. Well, going back to Paul Meyer again, have you seen his translation yeah. of Josephus? Yeah, Paul and Meyer's phenomenal. He's he's found some, well, I don't think he found them, but some manuscripts have turned up that seem to kind of corroborate some of the things that uh, people were saying, well, some well-meaning scribe, you know, doctored this up, and yeah. all of a sudden some earlier manuscripts turned up, and lo and behold, it seemed to flow pretty well along with the the quote-unquote doctored up version Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's nice i you know i mean josephus says basically he may well have actually risen from the dead or something to that effect right um that as far as i know and and these christians who claim that jesus rose from the dead who you know he may well have been the messiah or something like that well, from what I've heard, and from I actually heard Meyer talking about that specific passage, um, he said that that's interpolated. Oh, the part about that um, he was the Messiah, like he may have risen from the dead, and he was the Messiah. That was interpolated. Uh, maybe maybe I was drinking think. too much, but I thought that but, he said well, the opposite. Uh, been it's drinking. possible. If I was on a cruise when he was talking, I definitely <laughs> would not be reliable. Well, but like I said, uh, you even take out the things that uh, were. Are, are, that are thought to have been added to Josephus's writings, and you've still got so much in there that that does corroborate the Christian claim. Um, and he does mention the resurrection. He just doesn't say Jesus did rise from the dead. He is the Messiah. I mean, the guy was a, a, a hardcore Jew, and so for him to come out and and straight up say he was the Messiah, he rose from the dead. It doesn't really fit. The, the the big deal, though, you talk about hostile witnesses. Who are the two groups that have a vested interest in Jesus not rising from the dead? Jewish, Jewish leaders. religious leaders. Romans. 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 Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the problem either way. He's tried in both courts, found guilty in both mm-hmm. courts, crucified. The best that Bart Ehrman can reconstruct. You ever see his reconstruction yes. on this? They lost the body. It, it, it got dumped in the city dump, got <laughs> kind of got picked over by hyenas. No. And, uh, yeah, I mean, rumors are already floating around on, on Sunday evening, 
you know, and, and it's like anybody who's that significant, who's created this much of a rumpus, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think they could they could provide even a half-eaten corpse. Was, wasn't it John Dominic Crossan that came up with the uh, wild dogs hauled him off? Yes. Yeah, oh, is, yes. is he the one? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, Erman yeah, plays it yeah, up. Yeah, Erman, yeah. Erman uh, I've, I've got an extended quote yeah. from his about how it might have happened. He's not saying it happened this way, but this is a plausible argument. you got so many people it's invested. It's only plausible in the mind of well, Bart Ehrman. I think clowns from the circus came and hauled him off, personally. That's my take. No. Uh, circus uh, There's this guy named... Uh, in the little car. Oh, what's his name? Venturini? No, he was the guy who came up with the swoon theory. Can't remember the guy's name, but said UFOs actually came and took the body. Yeah, that's more plausible, Beautiful. Right? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It, com- <laughs> it comes down to, at that point, what's the evidence for this? I mean, sure... Okay, is it possible that UFOs came down? I guess. Is there any evidence that it happened? No. (laughs) What is there evidence for? Well, there's pretty good evidence that he actually did rise. We know that he was dead. Uh, And later he appears to his disciples. He eats and speaks with them. They touch him. He does things that living people do. And... uh, you know, I think we're all pretty well able to say when someone's alive and when someone's dead. I think Meyer points out, I, I think it's Meyer, that uh, there's no evidence of anyone ever surviving a Roman crucifixion. Uh, yeah. No, that's not true. That's not no? true? No, they, they, they have, uh, it, it, there's an account of at least one guy who survived it. Really, and I guess they can't do it again. I mean, if you survive it, they're not gonna, they're not gonna, they're not gonna do it to you again. But yeah, there was. Well, well, I thought they just point. left you on the cross and two were dead. No, there's, 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 and I, 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 I don't know any more than the existence of that. There, there's record of one guy having survived. Is this John Dominic Crossan? No, 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 no. This, <laughs> this is somebody with no vested interest in, in, uh, hmm. in, in Jesus' resurrection or something. There, there, there is, there is that. That's certainly the case. Did Martians take him off the cross? But, but all you have to do is look at the account, though, and and what was done to s- him, the piercing of the side and everything else. That, and that's, even before right, that's even before as right. medically dead as it gets. Yeah. And even before that. The soldiers come by and they saw that he had already died. Right. So right. so it's apparent even to even to the laymen. So well, they were kind of experts. So that was their job. Exactly. But, but yeah. uh, hey, I want to I want to switch gears to just some to some skeptical things. We got five minutes and and uh, oh that's, boy, that's, this is like crossfire. Yeah, it is. But 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 uh, um, <laughs> Andrew Deloach. I have this kind of question. The, 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 this collection of questions from skeptics, and I've I've organized them into questions about God, questions about religion, questions about the Bible. Now you skeptics we've, library. Yeah, right. we've already talked about the Bible, so so we're not going to. Okay. Uh, but but uh, but some of the other things that come up, and and they come up with the kids a lot, and they come up with kids who go, you know enter college and they, right. they hear this. So you know, common things like you know, uh, why why does God allow suffering and evil? <laughs> or or the a corollary is why would a loving God, which you purport God to be love, why would He send anybody to hell? You want me to answer both of those in five well, minutes? Well, just kind of, I mean, just, just kick okay. it. Just, can, can I, uh, I'll preface my answer with, with something that Joel and I did on our show when we recently answered these questions. Uh, and that was that we have to be willing to say, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, you have to be. Well, you that's you true. have to be willing to say, I don't yeah. know. Right. Let me go look and find out and we'll talk again. Okay. I, I, I think we have to be um, rather than, than, being so caught off guard that we come up with some fanciful answer that doesn't answer the question and just makes us look like idiots. But anyway, um, problem of evil, I, I, the thing that I've really been hitting on lately um, that we kind of ended our 
discussion of the topic with is that the problem of evil is a bigger problem for the atheists uh, than it is for Christians. The Christians can come up with a, a reasonable answer for why evil exists. Atheists can't even explain the idea of evil. How do you explain the idea of evil without a god? Hmm. Well, yeah, and, and that's where I, do you I, get the idea, the notion of evil from? Because you've got to have some idea of good to exactly. understand evil. Well, where do you get the idea of good? Well, you know, what is it? Is a majority rule here? Do we vote? Oh, I think that's evil. Yeah, most, and, most people don't like Hitler, and, so we'll say. And where, where do evil. we get this notion that that suffering is bad? That well, that's yeah. You know, because you know, for example, if 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 there is no pain, as I understand it, bones don't heal. Right. I mean, pain is part of the process, the healing process. Pain is a great warning against injury. If you lose your nerve yeah. endings, you know, then you're in big trouble. So th- this is a judgment on God. Hmm. It's like, you know, it doesn't really prove anything. Well, it it, does, it's basically exactly saying, it. I don't like God. Yeah. It, it doesn't prove that he doesn't exist. It's just that I don't like him. I find him disagreeable. He exactly. permits things to happen that I don't like. Exactly. I, and, and, I, I always like to ask, why do you blame God for stuff that people do? <laughs> wow. Well, that was, that was uh, I, I had a pastor who, uh, that was his, his back question is when they say, why does God allow suffering? He says, well, why do you? Good, yeah, that's a good response. Because you are the cause, whether by by active or passive. Yeah, you are actively or passively the cause of a lot of suffering in this world. Why do you permit it? Right. <laughs> but two uh, minutes. Um, what was the other one? Why would a loving God send somebody to hell? You want the answer actually to why does God allow suffering and evil? Oh, you have an answer? Yeah, it's on takethestand.typepad.com. Oh, nice. A little, little, little self-promotion. Shameless. <laughs> you know? Shameless. Have you, we never been guilty of that? Do you have a swag store? <laughs> oh, man, we're so far behind in the swag store department. Well, that was one of the first things we did. Yeah. Marketing. Um, uh, Merchandising. What's the next question? Why, 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 would, uh, why a God who is love uh, send anybody to hell? <clears throat> You know, Rosen, R- 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 Roseboro's going to debate some guy over the very existence of hell. Yeah, Doug Paget. It'd be, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to just kind of get hell out of the picture entirely. Yeah, um, this kind of also gets tied in with the question of you know uh, what about the the person who never hears about Jesus and, and you know never has the chance to ex- accept or reject. And I don't want to get into you know accept or reject, but. Uh, you know, it's really it's a just, question. Again, it presupposes God. See, and and that does, that to exactly. me is bad fish. If you're coming from a skeptical position, then you can't be asking questions that presuppose God because you presuppose not God. And here's where I would ultimately want to go: if Christianity is true, uh, then whether or not He sends people to hell is His prerogative. Hmm. Who am I to complain about what he's doing? Right. This is true. This is, again, the I don't like God. Yeah. This is, uh, you know. I mean, my, my other response is, is what's he supposed to do? Um, how, what do you do with someone who refuses to be in the party? Where, uh, do, they, where do they go? They're going to poop on your party. Where they, yeah. they got to go somewhere. And, yeah, or Dr. Nagel says, you know, they want hell badly enough. He'll give them hell, too. He doesn't want to. <laughs> sure. But if that's what you want, sure. you got it. And I think a lot of this, sometimes this question comes from a misunderstanding of what hell is. You know, people hear the mischaracterations and caricatures of hell being something that it probably isn't. Speaking of caricatures, Jesus. Speaking is a of hell. Of <laughs> oh, yeah, speaking of hell. Jesus <laughs> this is living hell right here. Make it stop. <laughs> God. Imagine an, an eternity of this. It burns. It burns. <laughs> <laughs>
I think Chris should play this for that guy. This is hell, buddy. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend.